further dispatches from our cyberpunk dystopia, <laughs> we go to some of the bleakest shit you can imagine floating around on Twitter. Oh my god. So, like, there's this project I follow. Um, they're basically trying to, like, make uh, Linux work on the new Apple Silicon Macs. And the lead developer for that, like, streams um, videos of them, like, you know, fucking around with it, trying to get this thing to do things it's just not built to do. And Mm -hmm. during one of these streams, he was, you know, typing on his keyboard, as you do. And content ID took offense. Um... His video got claimed for, quote-unquote, typing on modern keyboard zero two. Uh, claimed by ad share G for a third party. <laughs> oh my god. No. <laughs> that is unbelievable bullshit. Uh, it's, it's fucking wild. Um, and this isn't like the first time that content ID has done things like this. Um, there are people who have been claimed on dead silence. Um, people have been claimed on white noise. Fun things like that. Like, content ID is just fucking broken. It's like... You don't even have... Uh, it's like... God. <laughs> Your words don't even belong to you anymore. Your words don't belong Welcome. to you. Your typing does not belong to you. Everything is commodified, owned, and contracted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, welcome to the apotheosis of capitalism. Yeah. And now he has to, like, beg for his video to be, like, you know, unstriked because, oh my god, he typed in a video where he types. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) Welcome to Chop Shop Economics. You read this shit so you don't have to. Oh my god. Yeah, and we really got a whole raft of shit to ah. dig through today. By the way, if you enjoy uh, our antics and want to help keep this podcast going, please pop on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash economics. throw on a fiver. Um, it gives you early release access and special episodes. Mm. And... Uh, access to our discord so oh yeah (laughs) Ah, so let's get on with the news we've got billionaires in space Did they really go to space, though? Did they really? It's, you know, that's all debatable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it kind of 
just I I really want to start with just all the Doctor Evil memes that were rocketing all over the internet the week Bezos took his little rocket trip, and it was. <laughs> You know, art imitates life, folks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Had a long, smooth, cylindrical shaft, a mushroom-shaped tip. Mm-hmm. Oh, because he does not have a second stage, which means this is a fucking stunt. I- I'm <sighs> sorry. Look, I'm part of the Space and Freedom Party, and our position is that neither of them went to space. Nothing was achieved here. Yeah, this was like, I mean, it kind of really brings to mind this great bit from 1970. A rat done bit my sister Nell with Whitey on the moon. Her face and arms began to swell and Whitey's on the moon. I can't pay no doctor bills, but Whitey's on the moon. Ten years from now, I'll be paying still while Whitey's on the moon. Whitey didn't even go to the moon. He didn't even go to space. <laughs> <laughs> the whole damn planet's burning to uh, going to hell, <laughs> but Whitey's not even in space. <laughs> ah, okay, real talk. So, um, <sighs> Ranson, um, who bought the ancient skilled composites project from like Way back in the early aughts, um, he flew a suborbital uh, mission, though calling it that is generous, on Spaceship Two, which is like it's a test bed for like uh, suborbital tourist flights. Spaceship Three is supposed to be like the actual suborbital space liner. So, like, if you remember, like, the Shadowrunner cyberpunk books where they had, like, these space liners that would go kind of into space and then come right back down um, so that you could go from, like, in New York City to Beijing in, like, you know, five minutes. Like, that's that's what he's trying to sell. Um, but... The thing of it is, is they didn't even send up Spaceship Free, which is what is supposed to be doing those things. That hasn't even done its glide test yet. That's in another quarter. Um, I think the glide test is supposed to be like September or something. So, like, they didn't even get anywhere with this. Uh, and yeah, this is not even Musk's little, like, stunt, which was the product of Amazon pouring like you know billions of dollars into blue one since its founding directly from like you know amazon funds yeah so you know great job jeff you've unlike richard branson who just basically bought the company because he's like i want a toy rocket ship mummy is (laughs) now like jeff bezos actually kind of built it up and you know sort of elon musk kind of did that with spacex too at least his money did you know, the apartheid emerald mine money. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, like, here's the thing. Like, Musk didn't do this kind of thing. Um, no. Like... He especially didn't do it riding on a penis rocket while wearing a cowboy hat. Yeah, like... We would like to emphasize that. 
like, you know, Falcon 9, Falcon Heavy, those have actually flown actual missions into space for actual customers. They've even flown crew to the ISS. Like, their launcher actually does things. The new Shepard launcher, not so much. They don't have a working second stage yet, as I understand it. Which is why they did this suborbital stunt, because that's all the first stage can do. It can't actually get to orbit if they, I don't know, if they managed to break the tyranny of rocket equation. But they didn't. Like, they don't have a second stage to put on it. They couldn't send them to orbit, so instead we reenacted Mercury Redstone Free. And what really gets me with this is what was necessary to do these two stupid vanity projects that like, and I want to, I'm specifically putting this out there to the people who have been going, well, but this will somehow contribute to like science and the economy and all this other shit. Um, so, you know, at least abstractly, this is good. It's like, no, shut the fuck up. It is not. And here's why. Um, the, when you look at the allocation of monetary resources as, which, you know, is, how shit works in capitalism basically Mm -hmm. um the whole like it took you know 20 some odd years for jeff bezos to build his corporate empire with amazon and he basically started by devouring the brick and mortar retail sector so Mm -hmm. all he really did was de-skill a lot of workers and make a lot of people's lives fucking worse um and deteriorate local and regional economies to wipe out a perfectly viable sector, or at least take out large chunks. So, you know, he's didn't really add anything to the economy. He just sort of cannibalized the shit out of it. Um, and Richard Branson, you know, he started with Virgin Media, but he got really big off of basically riding the privatization train, literally, in the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And since then, it's just been about leveraging his money to buy more shit to add to his corporate conglomerate. This isn't like these aren't men who have like done things that create shit that has meaningful durability for the economy. And like just, you know, Jeff Bezos, for example, because he actually built his shit, you know, by cannibalizing the fuck out of like small town and midtown America and Main Street and the high street Mm -hmm. that... That costs like that's like a trillion dollars is how big his whole empire is valued. Now to compare that with like say the Apollo program, which from 1961 to 1972 spent a total of adjusted for inflation 250 billion dollars, give or take, mm-hmm. um, a couple billion here or there. Which, by the way, is like a third of the military's budget for the year. You know, the eleven years of funding that like turned nasa into a fairly significant you could say state-run space industry yeah and this by the way in the process of doing this this meant establishing a lot of very high-end high-tech um campuses and facilities that could sustain these operations and hiring people at very generous wages and uh benefits because they're doing high-end technical work um that has effectively created economic anchors for places like Huntsville 
and Southern Florida and Houston while spinning off, well, you know, I'm pretty sure like 70% of the technology that is in whatever device you're using to listen to this podcast came because of NASA in some way or another. Yeah. So, you know, let, let's just like put it on the balance here. Um, <laughs> Richard Branson um, surfed his way to wealth by playing games with money and ownership. Uh, Jeff Bezos devoured a perfectly viable sector of the economy and mostly just reconcentrated wealth in his greasy paws. And the Apollo program, which spent a quarter of the money that, like, total of the value of, like, Jeff Bezos's whole fucking empire basically made the computer revolution. Mm-hmm. And still has a lot of well-paying, consistent, stable jobs. Yeah. I mean, Just, this is... you know, putting it out there. <laughs> like... I can't emphasize this enough. Richard Branson basically bought this total reject of a suborbital space program. Like, part of the reason, like, why they haven't gotten much of it anywhere is because Spaceship 2, the original one, it crashed. And it killed it, the test pilots. In a rather messy manner. Like... That that aircraft is not safe. <laughs> but, you know, they, they built another one, and supposedly it works. It worked well enough to get, like, to get them there and back, but it's like, it's a publicity stunt. Like, their actual yeah. commercial project, they're not... They're not going to be testing it until, like, later in the year. Like, if he'd, like, you know, jumped on the, like, test flight of Spaceship Free, then I'd be, like, slightly more inclined to give him some credit. But no, he basically just, like, hopped a ride on Spaceship Two. You know, one of them, anyway. And Bezos... This is... Yeah. Bezos is, like... I'm just amazed that, like, anyone takes their project seriously because, like, the entire reason they did that mission profile is because they don't have a second stage ready. And if you don't have a second stage, you don't have an orbital launcher. That's just not how it works. Now, I do want to give them some credit in that we can't... One could argue that it's not appropriate to compare the budget that was allocated to the Apollo program um, to Jeff Bezos's budget. Um, and I think you can make a semi-valid case for that, but that's only because we don't actually know what the budget for Blue One is. Their finances and information is extremely secretive, and how much has actually been invested in this company is quite the question mark. Hmm. And, you know, as we've established, Richard Branson mostly just surfed on in and scooped up the label like a Caribbean island holiday pad. Yeah. And, like, 
the thing of it is, is basically what happened with Blue Origin. It's Blue Origin, not Blue One. Um, they basically flew the Mercury Redstone um, mission profile, which is the Redstone is kind of like, it's more like an IRBM. It's meant to deliver, you know, a very spicy package. Somewhere else it's not really meant to go to space. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And it's like, yeah, okay, that that was an actual achievement because they, like, they got this rickety-ass ICBM, well, IRBM really, to actually fly a human and not kill them in the process. And that's how the first, that's how, you know, the Americans put their first guy into space. A month ago, like, Gagarin had actually orbited, but... So, good job, guys. (laughs) You blew and decimated significant chunks of the economy and did serious damage to society to reenact copy the Apollo like copy NASA's homework from the 1950s. Yes, yes. That's good that's job. basically what this good, is. Good fucking job, guys. This is really like how like you can even run around in fucking cowboy hats and pretend that this was any kind of accomplishment is just beyond me at this point. It's just sheer, just the tone deaf hubris of it all is incredible. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm amazed that they had the audacity to like claim like this is some sort of big deal. It's like, okay, your first stage didn't kill somebody when it went up. Like, okay, Good that's, job. It, that's its you're doing a th- you're doing a thing NASA has been able to do for the better part of <laughs> 60 some odd years yeah and it's like even if you count the reusable thing like well let's face it SpaceX could have done this like 10 15 years ago they didn't do it because it was a waste of fucking time like everyone knows that you can send someone into you know, just slightly above the Carmen line with the first stage of a rocket. Like, that's not news. Yeah. Like, actually getting someone to orbit, actually getting cargo to orbit, and, you know, not killing them in the process, or turning the cargo into so much space debris, that's... that's an actual achievement. And that's still, like, you know, the bare minimum for a rocket program. (laughs) Yeah. But it's, you know, you guys copied NASA's homework. Good job. Yeah. Um, and in other fun news <laughs> in the economy, we have the impending end of the CDC's COVID eviction moratorium. Now, it's worth mentioning that this moratorium originally did not have very much teeth and mostly would have come into effect if you are stuck somewhere 
where you have a spectacularly dysfunctional local or state government that, say, can't maintain the power grid without turning it into a privatized shit show um, or discourage crowds of, uh, like, non-masking, non-vaccinated people to throng to the beaches. Mm-hmm. Then th- this may have come into effect, but it only came into effect for people who actually were being evicted. And it was meant to basically stop you from being removed from your home. This was really like, we're talking, it's not an insignificant thing. It is important, but it's not as big as it really needed to be. Yeah. And it's like, basically, you had to be at the point in an eviction case where they were, they actually had an order on you. And that's, that's pretty hard to actually get to in a lot of cases, because what ended up happening in a lot of places was the courts were just shut down or stalled out for a while. So, like, you know, while some cases did make it through and some people did benefit, it was, in a lot of jurisdictions, like, most of those cases were still stuck in, like, filing limbo. Like, there hadn't even been, like, you know what, there hadn't even been, like, a hearing or anything. So it doesn't, it doesn't help you. Yeah. But... But still... Yeah, this is not insignificant either, and that this is expiring is something that you would think would be a priority uh-huh. with the current administration, because this was by action of an executive regulatory agency just doing the thing on its own. Yeah, and. You know, that's how it happened. Let's not forget that. This was basically the CDC going, we need an eviction moratorium because if we don't, then sh- this disease is going to get completely out of control at the end. So why then is the Biden administration and Congress looking for... And it's like, basically... Look, they they knew that like this Supreme Court decision was going to come at some point. I don't... Isn't it, like, a couple months old? They were like, well, you know, you can extend this a little, but we're not going to let you extend this anymore through the executive. Like, you're going to have to, like, do this legitimately. Yeah, we know that Congress isn't going to do it, but... We're the Supreme Court. That's not our problem. We're the judicial branch. We don't give a fuck. (laughs) Lol. (sighs) Yeah. And it's like, yeah, okay. Like, you know. Norms. Norms. And (laughs) it's like, if this was an actual priority, they could have. They could have taken out, out some time, um, any time in like the past month or so to like go, hey, you need to put a bill on the Senate floor right now to get this, you know, to keep this going. Um, Which 
it's worth pointing out that reporter Jeff Stein, who covers the Capitol Hill beat on anything related to economic policy, has just recently tweeted, hey, guess what? There were like zero indications at any point during the last month that this was even remotely a priority among Democratic leaders. Yeah. Like either in the White House or in Congress. So this is we're not just like spinning this up because fuck the libs this is hey guess what it looks like they have completely shit the bed yeah i mean it's like and either dropped the ball or did not prioritize this yeah i mean it's like you had over a month to get something moving and you just sat on your hands and then, you know, you decide, oh, we can't extend it ourselves through, you know, executive orders. Because, you know, something, something, norms. norms, decorum, decorum, push the fucking button on the decorum sign. You know which one I'm talking about if you're that old. Um, Jesus, it's like... Ugh. Get Kirsten Cinema to throw a fit about it publicly you know yeah like cinema would just like shot it down and it's like oh yeah she's shot down some dumb stuff before but it's like oh she totally would do this but she shoots down like everything so that doesn't count yeah (laughs) but still it's you know this is not gonna go well this will lead to people being thrown out of their homes. I mean, not necessarily in totally apocalyptic numbers, but this is going to lead to more homelessness and everything that comes with that. Yeah. And it's like, at this point, I'm just, I'm just forced to think that like, they don't care. They don't give a shit. Like, or they really don't get it. Yeah. Like supremely, up their own ass stuck in west wing land yeah i mean it's like the norms will come through and save us all and it's like no they won't. no they fucking won't this is not how it works yeah society like does not function according to the rules proposed by aaron sorkin yeah sorry kids <laughs> just that's not a and has never been a thing um as we get reminded harshly by the news on covid (sighs) where at this point Delta variant is spreading more or less out of control mm-hmm. in Florida and Arkansas in every county. And the CDC has reintroduced a, max ma- a mask mandate. Two thirds of counties so far. At least this time they like, and you know, I've like criticized them for just basically. Being like, 
you know, very binary on this stuff. But like this time they actually have a guideline for like when to switch them on and when to switch them off. And it's like if you have enough cases per hundred thousand, then yeah, you need a mask mandate. You need to make that happen. And that's the right way to go about it. I think it's like, you know, it's actually targeted at something that's not just like, uh, you know, the feds punishing you for whatever mumble mumble. (laughs) Um, yeah, it's like, actually this time they've been like, okay, there, here's a metric. Here's like, here's like something you can actually look at and say, okay, we don't need to do this or okay, we need to go back to having masks. And that's great. But the fact that we're at this point is it's not good. And I mean, there's a whole bunch of reasons why. But fuck. I mean, just I got nothing. Fuck. Um, I don't know what you think. <laughs> that about summarize it for you too. Oh shit! Did air, did air, did air. I got nothing. I don't. I don't know what else to say. This is just. This is massively fucked. And it's like... This is partly because we dragged ass on so many other measures that, like... It's really going to just keep doing what it's doing. Because it's not that Delta variant is, like, you know, totally unstoppable. People that are vaccinated do have at least limited immunity yeah but in that you're not going to go to the hospital you're just going to have the worst two weeks of your life um yeah i mean it's like but this is still like this is part of why we're having shit like a labor shortage because oh wait (laughs) a little more than half a million people died in a year yeah with no as from an economic standpoint, rhyme or reason. Well, actually, there was some rhyme or reason, you know. Essential workers, the people making supply chains work, cooks, incidentally, were, like, the labor category that lost, had, like, the highest mortality rate due to COVID. Um, yeah. Hands down. Like... We marched a whole bunch of people into the pandemic killing fields and then were shocked that, like that has economic consequences the fact that the and this is a product of capitalism doing its thing yeah because this is putting maximizing profits ahead of everything else yeah and it's just like it is ultimately self-consuming yeah i just I don't know. I don't know what to say about this. It's like... And part of it is like... 
I don't know, some shit lips are being like, oh, this is the fault of the unvaccinated. Everyone's, you know, a hardcore anti-vaxxer who hasn't gotten it yet. And it's like, you're talking about your kids. I realize our generation doesn't fuck, so we don't have kids. But Jesus. Yeah. Like, you know, kids under, you know, under 18 weren't eligible until like a couple months ago and the current limit is like 12 <laughs> and this is not good from like and yeah and what this and and like the big thing with this is that you do you know there is like a certain element of truth to uh, the problem of people not like choosing not to get vaxxed like that is an element but there are a lot of state-run programs that in the united states that have been basically fobbed off on shitty contractors and states where you actually have a functional like publicly run program like on the west coast are the only ones that are really getting close to hitting all these necessary vaccine targets um yeah so this isn't like there is definitely a certain element of truth to that there's chuds being shitty, but it's not as big of a problem as the fact that the distribution system had to be started from scratch and there's no consistency in how that distribution was set system was set up. And so it's a shit show. <laughs> yeah. And in some places people are being charged to get the vaccine. They're not being given time off from work the way they should be, so there is an economic cost. Yeah. And it's like, they are trying to break through the hesitancy and such, and like, okay, finally we're getting that stuff moving. But, like, a good chunk of this is, quite simply, we can't vaccinate kids. Because we don't know if this, you know, won't horribly kill them. I mean, probably not, because, like, thus far, you know... Like, teenagers and such don't seem to respond any differently from adults. But, you know, there's there's always that risk. You don't want... <sighs> yeah. You, But still, this is going to continue to do what it's been doing to the economy. I wouldn't be surprised if localized lockdowns come back in places, because they have to. Yeah. So hang on tight this covid thing is definitely not over yet we're not in normal land yet not even close so that kind of brings us to something that does however give a bit of uplift if you will Which comes from an unexpected source in the form of a pizzeria in Ohio. Mm. Yes, like the future of humanity and all that has been foreshadowed actually kind of nicely. Where one local pizza place did a one-day promotion of where the owner shared the day's profits 
I think he actually for forwent his profits for the day. Yeah. And so when it was divided up between the workforce, everybody made $78 an hour. Yeah. Yes. 78. Seven, eight. Two digits. An hour. When the profits were equally distributed among the workforce. And, you know, here at Chop Shop, we fed that to our highly sophisticated algorithms. They did the math and they concluded that if you could make $78 an hour working at a pizza place, then you would only need to work to, you know, make rent in, say, Portland or San Francisco 16 hours a week. Mm. And not just, you know, make rent, but actually, like, you'd probably make somewhere around $5,000 a month before taxes. Yeah. And so... (laughs) (laughs) All values created by labor. Yeah. Yeah, Bezos. All value is created by labor. And and this is like, this isn't even just like, you know, a radical socialist position. There's a, like, argument that was made by John Maynard Keynes, you know, the guy who was basically the architect of the New Deal um, in some ways, and a lot of post-war economic thinking... And he, you know, and he was basically trying to save capitalism from itself. And he argued in the 1920s that economic industrial automation was going to create a world that he expected within two generations tops, where people only would have to work 20 hours a week to meet their basic needs and sustain themselves in a thriving fashion. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think we can say that we just got some ironclad proof there that hey guess what if a pizza parlor in ohio and granted you know they probably did especially well that day in fact they can see this is likely because they advertised this as a special promotion but you know this still kind of suggests hey guess what we can do this whole thing called living and supporting ourselves and each other on a lot less work yeah than we've been made to suffer (sighs) you do not need to do 40 hours a week in a bullshit job Mm -hmm. to not just stay alive but actually have a good life if the proceeds of labor were shared fairly. Yeah. <sighs> and you could get to full employment because you would only be, you'd need twice as many people. <laughs> I mean, that's just putting it out there. Yeah. I mean, it's like, like they, people have theorized that like, part of the reason we're in the mess we're in is because we've got like massive underemployment because we want to pay like we want to pay people like eight bucks an hour to work only 15 hours a week um and you know you're expected to like <laughs> you're you're expected to basically like cobble together free jobs or you're working like 60 hours a week and you know, you're just massively fucked. 
didn't McDonald's like actually release a thing that was like, here's how our associates can do financial planning. And one of the line items was literally income from second job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Along with like some hilariously optimistic line items. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah. So this is really pretty interesting that we're seeing this happen. And this is not like some bunch of like random lefties that are trying an experiment. This was, you know, Joe Petit Bourgeoisie Capitalist going, I'm going to share my profits for a day. Oh, wait, every single person working at my pizza place can have a living wage and work half as much. It's pretty great. Wait, what? (laughs) Did I just prove socialism? Oops. While I was doing a capitalism? Pretty much. Pretty much. (sighs) Good job. Though in other related news, Blizzard workers are now walking out over a combination of horrific working conditions and massive sexual harassment, including uh, literally, we're not joking, Bill Cosby room as reported by Kotaku. (sighs) And there's all kinds of stuff that's been hitting the press since then in the business press, suggesting that the decline in wow updates has largely been because workers are just being absolutely hot shopped. And mercilessly crunched and grossly underpaid. Hot shop? I, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't, oh. I don't know what that is offhand. <laughs> Mind explaining that oh, to that, the viewers? <laughs> that's basically if you are working in the tech industry, what's known as a hot shop, and the gaming industry is notorious for this, is where you are expected to endure basically up to like 60 plus hours a week. Oh, death marching. At work. Yeah. It's like common industry lingo to be like, oh yeah, there's places that will absolutely like work you to the bone. And Blizzard not only engages in that bullshit, but they also don't even pay at the level that others within the same industry do. Yeah. And that's that's kind of a feat because it's like... The thing is, is like, and this is partly why I eventually ended up giving up on ever entering the industry. They don't pay nearly as well as for like the equivalent skills in like systems development or anything like that, because it's like, oh, well, you you know, you're passionate about games and, you know, we can find just anyone to replace you. And so, you know, we're we're just not going to pay you. We're not going to pay you enough, anyway. We're paying you an experience. Mm-hmm. And proximity to your favorite games. Also, you'll be fired after the game is complete. <laughs> that does yeah. happen. A lot. Quite frequently. Oh, yeah. So, you know, this is the kind of shit that would definitely inspire people to walk out so you know (laughs) yeah if you are one of those folks at blizzard who's listening in we'd love to chat and this shit's absolutely based 
maybe y'all should start talking about a union. Yeah. <sighs> like you're halfway there. <laughs> you're already like ready to do some wildcat striking. Might as well make it official. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's just like it's it's the everything. They've been Activision Blizzard has not been a great shop to work for for a long time. And the lawsuit, what uh, the recent lawsuit, which you might have heard about, that was just kind of the tipping point. Like, it's kind of an open secret that you don't go there to. Um, <laughs> you don't go there if you're expecting any kind of work-life balance. But they've got a worse reputation than EA, and that that takes that takes effort. That's that's skill. <laughs> That is truly just how you managed to do that is <laughs> I don't even know. Oh, no, I, I do know. It's called Blizzard. Yeah. Ah. Shall we move on? <laughs> yep. So. We got some interesting developments going on in the world of global banking, where Barclays and Deutsche Bank, two fairly significant players in international banking, with Barclays being one of the biggest of the London financial houses, and Barclays being the number one bank for money launderers, we swear, it's totally Isn't that Deutsche? Yep, that's Deutsche. Um, Both posted better than expected profits. Um, however, <laughs> this came with a lot of caveats. In the case of Deutsche Bank, they saw a decline in their investment banking revenues and quite potentially a decline in the market share as far as investment banking, which is a problem because that's a place where Deutsche Bank does make a good chunk of change normally. Barclays, by contrast, saw their market share in investment banking grow. Since these two play in a lot of the same places, that kind of looks a lot like Barclays and has been effectively cannibalizing Deutsche Bank. Like, not necessarily directly, because the way this shit works is fucking spun out and weird and needlessly convoluted. But, you know, Deutsche Bank's loss is Barclays' gain. Pretty much. And for this to be going on means financial markets are not growing. <laughs> they are, if they are starting to show signs of cannibalizing each other, if we're seeing situations where one significant player in the marketplace is losing ground to another significant player in or at least losing ground while another significant player is gaining ground, that looks a lot like money is moving between customers. That does not look like new business is being generated. Yeah. <sighs> We're rearranging, you know, the deck chairs in the Titanic. Essentially. <laughs> uh, but this, all this means is that, like, you know, Barclays can now, like, pay out to shareholders and do some stock buybacks 
which, you know, they kind of had to stop doing um, a year or so ago because of all this. The crisis. <laughs> yeah. So now, oh yeah, and the best part is they also made this profit while they were cutting compensation for their workforce. Mm-hmm. So, you know... That's one way to post profits, is by laying people off or cutting their pay. Yeah. Like, these are not companies that are doing stuff that is generally associated with being in a healthy and booming environment. And that needs to happen for this thing called the recovery to actually get any traction at all. Yeah. We'll get into that a little later, but it's like... This, along with things like Wells Fargo cutting back services, are, <laughs> these are bad signs. These are really bad. And, like, even the shit about you have to go back to work is extending to finance with not only the big banks insisting people go back to the office, but that the Wells Fargo has been... Si- no, sorry. Scratch that. J.P. Morgan has been saying you should really expect to be working six day 60 hour weeks when you get back how much of that is return to business as usual how much of that is because they've either fired people or people have just quit because that's probably also what's going on there yeah by the way the great resignation strikes again (laughs) like you know do i need to destroy myself for 976 (laughs) yeah so, you know, <laughs> this is these are not what anyone would call healthy indicators. Yeah. But there's there's movement. We, exactly. It looks like shit's happening. There's a pulse, we promise. <laughs> Even though there's like, you know, blood oxygen levels are tanked. Major organs are failing. There's blood on the floor. Mm. Droughts and heat waves have wreaked havoc across North America. Mm. And many other places around the world. Besides. Um, With even, like, now growing predictions that this will continue well into August. We've already seen something like 500 dead in British Columbia just because of heat. Yeah. Over this past week. Like, climate death is becoming a thing. Like, they finally managed to figure out okay, how many of these people who, like, suddenly dropped dead weren't just, you know, admitted for heat stroke? And it turns out. Over there, it was quite a lot. Yeah, around 500. And, I mean, we had a lot of people drop dead here. Um, like, that death toll was 63 and rising. I'm pretty sure it's a couple hundred by now. Oh, yeah. And it's like... I mean, hell, right now in the Pacific Northwest, we've got we've got another heat wave going on. It's not, you know, a full-on heat dome. It's not, 
it's probably not going to kill you. This is, like, normal shit since I've been here. There's, like, you know, one or two waves where, like, it'll go up to 100, but it's still not good. It's still not good. Especially because we're seeing growing evidence from all across the farm belt that this extended drought and heat wave is having devastating effects on crop yields. Yeah. Which, of course, the business press is mostly going, oh shit, this is bad for profit, but sort of leaves out that that's because food prices are going to go up and people are going to go hungry, and some people are probably just going to straight up starve. Yeah. Like, a lot of the effects here on agriculture... They won't be felt for, like, another quarter or so because of, you know, late fall harvests and things like that, you know, like, what do you do when the apple trees have been killed by heat? I mean, no, you seriously. You have to suck it up. Yeah, like, what do you do? You really just have to suck it up and hope for the best. Especially because agriculture generally is incredibly debt-ridden. Yeah. As an industry. I mean, it's like, agriculture is rarely doing, like, well. But, like, this this year has not been good. And it's like, it's not just, you know, the direct inputs, you know, having, like, crop failures and such... The labor shortage is striking again because it's like, you know, if you don't have people picking, if you don't have people processing, if, you know, there aren't drivers to get the goods where they need to be, then, like, the whole supply chain for food breaks down. And, you know, predictably, to make things even more fun, the deterioration of economic circumstances and four years of trump immigration policy has meant that a lot of migrants who were necessary for keeping the food system going as is were saying you know what actually i'm gonna try my luck back in mexico yeah fuck this this is not me worth me risking my life over pretty much and like, you know, a lot of that is, like, highly skilled labor, relatively well compensated, but it's, like, holy shit. I mean, it's, like, if people are just not coming, you know, officially or otherwise, then, you know, this whole fucking system doesn't work. Yeah. Like, this, like, neoliberal capitalism, as is, depends on having huge pools of exploitable labor yeah. to have a shot at being functional. And that's largely because that's the only way you can fatten up the profit margins this much. Like, it's no accident that even J.P. Morgan, who are one of, like, the so-called masters of the universe, are raking in at 60 hours a week and doing hot shop style shit. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it was already bad enough in the industry as a norm, but uh, you think they would have learned something from like last year. 
Nope. No. Absolutely not. So, yeah. Hang on tight for that. Oh, by the way, but we do have some actually good news there. Mm. And that is in... And what voters in Whatcom County, Washington State, on July 28th, voted to prohibit future development of fossil fuel infrastructure. And this is particularly significant because Whatcom County has two of the five oil refineries in Washington State. Yeah. Like, this is one of the first refinery communities in the country to pass local legislation prohibiting fossil fuel development from continuing. Yeah. And all of this, all of these facilities are meant to service, you know, you know, basically Seattle Pacific ports for, you know, transshipment. Like, this is pretty big because it means that, like, I don't know, they're, uh, they're basically... If one can do it, then, <laughs> then more can do it. Yeah. The more communities may, like, take action like this, the more this is going to impact fossil fuels and that whole sector and industry. This is going to do... This is, like, another risk for anyone who's playing in fossil fuels because this is really sort of the next step from divestment. Like, divestment's always been kind of sort of a problem for fossil fuels, but not a big one yet. But now this is sort of the next logical step of saying, you know what, fuck it, we're not going to pressure endowments and foundations and funds and stuff to get away from fossil fuels we're just gonna work at the local level to prohibit any development period yeah basically what's going down is like they're blocking they're basically blocking expansions and any you know upgrades are going to be subject to increased environmental scrutiny and this isn't like symbolic is the thing like this has teeth yeah because it's like they already have facilities there this isn't you know some random fuck off county being like we're gonna ban fossil fuels for you know hippie reasons or whatever the fuck yeah (laughs) like when berkeley very symbolically banned nuclear power yeah um This is actually significant. This is not a good sign if your name is (laughs) ExxonMobil. That public opinion is decisively turning against you in the places that you need it the most. (laughs) And that brings us to uh, the fun that's going on in the supply chains. Supply chain sound So, remember all that stuff about agriculture being disproportionately affected by the global drought? It is manifesting across the supply chain now. Yeah. According to the World Economic Forum, food prices are 25% higher than they were during for the 2014 to 2016 average. Yeah. 
that's like guess what that thing that cost four bucks now costs five bucks <sighs> pretty much so it's uh, it is kind of important to note that like food prices are decreasing slightly but it's like you know it's june like you know half the globe is you know and went just went into winter obviously and like this is very much nothing has like returned to normal this is just you know a slight decline and like they even say is say that you know it's like things could get worse that trend could easily reverse and you know we're like like you said we're still 25 percent above the 2014 2016 average which is that's a fucked. bad place to be yes you know and we're even seeing shit like taco bell is facing shortages on some of their more popular menu items because they can't get the supplies they need. They can't get the meat. They can't get the tortillas. They can't get the corn. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, Which, you know, tracks with what I've seen at on the job where we literally have a different brand of ketchup every other week. Like, this time, it's we have the little, like, squirt bottles we can refill. Now it's Hunt's. Now it's Heinz. In sealed bottles, because that's all we could fucking get. Mm-hmm. And then it's... And, it's gonna be something else next week, isn't it? Probably. Like, it's showing up. In a lot of different ways. So this isn't just, like, you know speculation this is shit that's happening this is going to be putting a pressure on the price of everything else because people aren't going to be able to spend as much if they're having to spend more money on food yeah remember the uh five stop thing that's apparently they put slightly more effort than usual into like their supply chain driven rebrand wingstop because you can't get fucking wings. You can get thighs. You cannot get wings. <laughs> or like Hertz, who man who we've covered before, managed to avoid bankruptcy. Yeah. Barely, which looked like it was inevitable given COVID circumstances. But they managed to really dodge that bullet. Um, like, you know, so around but, June, July, it was looking very much like they would not be a going concern anymore. But exactly. And they did got through it by basically hawking their fleet. They sold 200,000 of their cars out of a fleet of 650,000. And it's like, because the new market for cars was so fucked, 
everything fell back to the used market and like you know even like heavily abused fleet vehicles are suddenly like worth their weight in gold because you can't get anything for lever money and oh here's hertz with like you know a shit ton of cars that they can just get rid of and that's had permanent effects for their business in significant ways like we're seeing like the price of rental cars shoot through the sky all over the place like if you look in like say hawaii which is very car dependent very tourism dependent the average cost of booking a car is around twelve hundred dollars a week god damn and even even on the mainland in a lot of places it's like 300 in places where you could normally get something for like 75 you could get a little shoebox for like 75 dollars it's like no you're paying 300 bucks for that shoebox if there's one available because like they they used this to like retire you know the uh, the dregs of their fleet and oh and they're not buying more that's the other thing like it's and it's not just hurts like nobody is buying fleet cars at this point at least not in the rental sector and this really brings us to our last word It's, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the recovery that is probably going to be not. Pretty much. Like, the problem... Like, uh, there was... I was looking on the New York Times website today, and they had, like, this article out that was, like... We're in recovery now. Our GDP is finally trending positive compared to 2020. And it's like, you call that a recovery? I mean, after this? Yeah. I mean, it's. With with all the debt that is loaded up in the corporate sector? With all the private consumer debt that is estimated, you know, you put all that shit together to be something like three times the size of the global economy? Yeah, I mean... You're going to seriously tell me that that's enough? Well... To restart this fried-as-fuck engine? Well, I mean, it is... All of that that you talked about is economic activity. Um, The briefcase has been passed enough to generate enough utilions that um, we're recovering now. Because we passed the briefcase really fast. (laughs) (sighs) This is just such unbelievable bullshit. It's, (laughs) they really, like, we could, there's all over the place problems with shit, like, the supply chain system being completely falling apart. Now, food supplies being actually seriously threatened, which isn't just, like, a bad if you're a capitalist problem. That's a bad if you, like, organized society problem. Yeah, I mean. Workers either not being there or saying, you know what, actually I'm retraining or I'm not doing the shitty job and not enough people with money to spend. Like 
arguably, you know, you could say that there is there is like in fact an argument that the economy is starting to show serious recovery because it is showing better GDP growth at this point since COVID compared to the 2008-2009 recovery. But, you know, these discussions sort of ignore this thing called there was actually direct stimulus this time. Yeah. People actually had some money to spend instead of completely eating shit with a handful of exceptions. The burning bucks are almost gone at this point. I mean... Most of the people who really needed that are in, like, red states, and the red states have been cutting that off. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's like we've... And... (laughs) What little recovery we have in that... Yeah. What little recovery we have in the consumer... On the consumer side of things is that, you know, we've been giving a whole bunch of people unemployment so that, you know, they'll stay home and not get everyone sick. And, you know, we've also been doing direct stimulus, which arguably wasn't quite enough, but, like, 4200 is no joke. And yeah. Even though it's not the, you know, full 2000 that Biden promised. Yeah. Which would have done more fucking Chicago boy dipshits. Yeah. And it's just but like... But regardless, <laughs> we you can't make the comparison because there was actually an attempt to do recovery. And guess what? That jobless recovery was absolute shit. And it did not have things like a globe-spanning supply chain crisis. <laughs> Where the supply chains are literally just starting to melt down. Mm. One of the measures that we track often on on this show is the employment population ratio. It's a very raw bit of data because it doesn't tell you like how many people are supposed to be in the workforce in the first place. But... You know, we've been measuring it for so long that, like, we have a pretty consistent idea of what it's supposed to look like when times are good. And that's usually around, like, 63 to 65 percent, you know, post, you know, women's lib and all that. You know, now that women are in the workforce, like, this is about what we we would expect 62.5 to 65 percent epr we are at 58 and the last time we checked in it was 58 because the may numbers had just been posted the june numbers were posted recently and they're the same and those, by the way, usually fluctuate upward because of things like seasonal hiring mm-hmm. for the tourism industry. So that there really isn't any significant nudge shows that while these places are reopening, you're not seeing growth in terms of new jobs being created. Yeah. Or any other meaningful thing that leads to actually sustaining economic growth. What we're seeing is, again, people just passing around the fucking briefcase, calling it a security, and saying that constitutes economic activity. Combined with that, a lot of places that were shut down due to lockdown are now open and doing stuff. But 
pretty much all of them, like particularly hotels, restaurants, and anything else related to the tourism trade, had to eat a raft of shit and take on levels of debt that they really shouldn't have or needed to. Yeah, that's right. So now, like, they've got, I mean, sure, there's businesses in those sectors that are posting profits that are in line with where they were before COVID. But they need more than that because now they have costs that were not there before going into that supply chains are basically choking out any hope of reliable purchasing or recovery. Yeah. I mean, this is, we've got a supply side crisis, which is, you know, it's a little strange. Not supposed to happen. <laughs> it's not supposed to happen. Yeah. Not under neoliberalism. The frictionless supply chain is supposed to be flawless. Yeah, it's like it's like the seventies never ended. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like we will always reliably get what we need, except that's not happening. Yeah, and so it's like the thing of it is, is like. I mean, I just don't, I don't see how there is a recovery, except in the most, like, technical sense, because... And it's no way it's enough. Yeah, there's, there's no way that all of this new activity is, like, enough to refloat the economy. Like, we would have to see, like, massive growth to make that happen and there is there isn't the material basis for it where the economy is basically treading water and this is not a good place to be when you just had to eat the worst single downturn since 1929 mm-hmm. you need to be posting way better than expected to make up for that kind of loss and even if everything had gone right we probably still would be seeing a painful recession like since you know nobody was really serious about mass employment programs or anything like that even though that's a good idea and works um this is instead what we're gonna see is the fundamentals of this economy will eventually just completely give way yeah because they're just not there anymore and it's going to be the stock market that's the last thing to go like when the stocks actually go into terminal decline that's going to be because everything else has completely disintegrated pretty much Dow 10,000 someday (laughs) yep but it'll be the last thing to go Mm mm-hmm And when it does go, it's gonna blow. Oh, yeah. Like, I just... Frankly, I don't see... I don't really see a way out for them on this. Like, sure, they can... (laughs) Normal had to come back, and it didn't. Like... We're just because it couldn't. <laughs> this economy is just like limping along, 
And, you know, I mean, okay, yeah, GDP is... The teal deer is like, yeah, GDP has recovered. But it's like, you can game that. You can game that metric very easily. So it's like, so what? Yeah. If banks pull a bunch of bullshit, that moves the GDP. It's not banks that needed to do that, though. It was everything else. Even before going into things how, like, remote work is probably going to decimate multiple real estate markets. Oh, yeah. That's why a lot of, like, the the finance types are, like, trying to get butts back in seats in the office. It's, like, they need to justify to, like, their commercial real estate operations that, you know, they gotta lead by example, you know? They can't just, like, pay for this office space and then not use it. You know, someone might... Besides, it's necessary for labor discipline. How else are you going to get people to work, like, six days a week? Yeah. So, yeah, (laughs) this is really where things seem to actually be going. This is going to be steady deterioration before finally the bottom really gives way in the same way that happened with the Great Depression. Yeah. And when it does, there's going to be a long way to go down. But the GDP is fine. You can stop asking about the GDP. It's fine now. It's fine. I swear. (laughs) So, this has been Chop Shop Economics. Reading this shit so you don't have to. Bye, everyone. Good luck.